Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the Cinema Gold Show with your host, Larry Lease. Join us as Cinema Gold dives into the latest Hollywood film and TV news and everything in between. Tune in each weekday on your favorite podcast platform. Cinema Gold Show. I'm your host, Larry Lease. Today we're diving into the latest box office results and streaming and movie news from around the industry. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Poddex, for sponsoring this episode. What is Poddex, you ask? That is a great question. Let me tell you all about them. Poddex are a unique tool to engage your audience, grow your audience, and create new content. All you have to do is shuffle up, pick pick a card, and let the content roll. Get yours today at Poddex.com and use the promo code Larry21 for 10% off your order. We'd also like to remind our audience that we have merch available. You can check out the link in the description and use the promo code SUMMER25 
for 25% off your order during this summer. And now on to our first topic. Top Gun Maverick is on cruise control in its second week. Top Gun Maverick is proving to be quite the hit. The long-awaited and very good sequel eased a cool 32% in its second weekend and brought in $86 million, bringing its domestic total to a stellar $291 million. Per deadline, that drop res- represents the best hold for a wide release that opened north of $100 million, trumping the likes of Star Wars The Force Awakens and Shrek 2. As for Tom Cruise, the domestic total has already placed Maverick atop the actor's filmography. Adjusted for inflation, of course. And it needs to accrue $800 million to beat Mission Impossible Fallout to become his highest grossing picture worldwide. As of now, Maverick has grossed a whopping $548 million globally. And looks poised to join the billion dollar club, assuming Jurassic World Dominion doesn't cut too deep into its grosses. Dino Pick will, at the very least, steal all of Maverick's IMAX screens. Of note, Maverick won't open in Korea until June 23rd, and the pick won't release in China and Russia, though neither may be needed for the Joseph Kaczynski-directed film to blast past $1 million. Back to Jurassic World. Universal's anticipated dinosaur sequel has already been released overseas, where it has earned $56 million from 15 offshore markets, which is slightly above the previous two entries. Elsewhere, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness cruised to $909 million worldwide, making the Sam Raimi-directed flick the second-highest-grossing movie of the pandemic era, trailing only Spider-Man No Way Home. Pretty impressive, you have to give them credit. Also, A24's Everything Everywhere All at Once continues to impress the box office, grossing an additional $2 million to bring its domestic take to $60 million, while David... Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future took in $1.1 million from over 700 locations in 146 markets. So right now we're looking at a box office, like we said, being controlled by Top Gun Maverick at number one, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at number two, number three, Bob's Burgers movie, number four, The Bad Guys, number five, Downton Abbey, number six, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Number 7 is Vikram. Number 8 is Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Number 9 is The Lost City. And number 10, to run it out to number 10, The Crimes of the Future. Let us know in the comment section below what do you think will happen in the um, coming weekend with the release of the Dino Pick Jurassic World Dominion. Do you think uh, Maverick will still be able to um, reach a billion dollars? Or do you think Jurassic World will put a halt to it? Let us know. And now on to some strange but not shocking news. Morbius returns to theaters and still sucks. After it was announced that Sony would re-release Morbius... For one weekend, the internet's latest meme obsession, starring Jared Leto, only grossed an additional $85,000 at the box office. While that might sound bad, it gets even worse when taking into consideration that it was released in over a 1,000 theaters, only averaging around $82 per theater. If you really broke that down, that is barely anybody in those theaters. 
So just how bad is this? Well, let's do some math. The average price of a movie ticket in the U.S. was nine fifty-seven in 2021. Keep in mind that this is kind of a generous estimate given how much theaters in busier markets are often more expensive. If we divide 82 by 957, you get approximately 8.56. That means only around 8 or 9 tickets were sold per theater this Friday to see Morbius. If you take into consideration that many movie theaters and populous markets often charge more for tickets, that means many theaters saw even fewer tickets sold. So if you're wondering if this will be enough with Will two more Tubius into existence? It probably won't. Morbius has brought in around 73 million domestically since its April 1st release, including Friday's re-release. The movie costs somewhere between 75 and 83 million to make, not including its marketing budget. It also brought in around 80 million internationally, bringing its total gross to around 163 million, a far cry from the more billion dollars that Morbids were hoping it would earn. If this debacle is a sign of anything, it's that internet hype, or mockery in this case, doesn't reflect the general moving-going public. It's something we can probably refer to as the snakes-on-a-plane effect, wherein a movie's main potential does not guarantee that it'll turn a profit. Perhaps Sony believed that social media trolls were laughing with Morbius rather than at Morbius, or maybe they understood that they were being made fun of and decided to embrace the joke. Either way, it wasn't successful, and that legacy of this movie will likely be one full of memes, artificial blood, and a great misunderstanding of irony on the internet. All of this is to say that the Morbius memes that infiltrated your timelines are officially funny again. Go crazy, people. And now, on to our review, Strange New Worlds, Episode 5. Star Trek Strange New Worlds Episode 5 tries its hand at comedy and proves it's as good as being funny as it is at everything else. Star Trek Strange New Worlds for season has ticked a lot of boxes thus far, from stories of alien encounters that run the gamut, from hopeful first contacts to high-octane face-offs, and deaf character work that adds intriguing new layers to this series, central players, even those we thought we already knew. Now with Spock and Mock, Strange New Worlds tries its hand at comedy. While the hour isn't a terribly substantial one in terms of larger forward narrative progress, it's an utterly delightful time. The setup is broad enough to give most of the main cast something to do, and perhaps more importantly, it's honestly just fun to watch. And while I love this franchise, let's be honest. Outside of, say, Star Trek Lord X, there hasn't been much focus on comedy or even just simple fun in Star Trek in recent years. Are there elements of this episode that are deeply silly? Absolutely. Playing Nurse Chapel's chaotic dating life for laughs is going to get real old real quick. And we probably could have done with a bit less of Una and Leon's attempts to prove they too are people who can actually enjoy themselves outside of work. But these are exactly the sort of slices of life stories I love precisely because they let us get to know these characters as people outside of the missions they serve. There's nothing wrong with episodes that have low stakes and straightforward problems to solve, like an awkward diplomatic meeting with some rude aliens or a relationship misunderstanding. 
The basic premise of the hour is that pretty much everyone's on some well-deserved shore leave, while the Enterprise gets fixed up after its close encounter with a black hole. Dr. Mbinga is excited to fly fish. Chapel is looking forward to seeing a guy she's sort of dating. And Spock's planning to spend some quality time with his fiance, who has made a special trip to make up for their last interrupted visit the series pilot. Strange New Worlds deserves a lot of credit for the defty way it turns Spock his remote romance, a relationship that we already knew, know is canonically doomed, according to the regional original series, A Mock Time, into something that's genuinely interesting and emotionally compelling. I like the two of them together. Dang it. More fodder for our throwing cannon to the wind's conspiracy theories, perhaps. Star Trek Discovery Season 2 spends a lot of time wrestling with Spock's various childhood traumas. Vis-a-vis his relationships with Michael and Sarek, so the fact that Spock and Mock manages to make revisiting many of those same issues here feel both fresh and necessary is a relief. Perhaps it's because making peace with the two sides of himself is essentially Spock's life work. And this story feels like nothing so much as just one piece, which is naturally a very long road. Given that he is one of the two Stranger New World characters we came into this story already having something of a pre-existing relationship with, this episode could have gone a lot of different ways. But thankfully, it manages to find a solid balance between respecting the story that Discovery introduced and forging its own path. The idea that Spock, who repeatedly chooses Starfleet because Starfleet doesn't ask him to pick a side between his two identities, is afraid that he won't be Vulcan enough or human enough for his shipmates. Manifested in a little nightmare of him fighting himself makes a lot of sense to me, and is a version of this character that exists at a natural spot in between what we saw in Discovery and the Spock of the original series. Plus, I'm always down for a good accidental body-swapping story, and the fact that it's two different gendered Vulcans forced to pretend to be the other while getting a new understanding of their partner's perspective along the way just makes it all even more fun to watch. Is tapering possibly a little too understanding of her betrothed, consistent desire to put Pike in the Enterprise first? Maybe. But Ethan Peck and Gia Sandu share a charmingly offbeat chemistry and surprise. Both are fantastic comedic performers, as evidenced by their hilarious ability to seamlessly differentiate between the normal characters they play and their body swap versions using little more than simple changes in vocal inflection and physical stance. Spock Amok also comes the closest the series has yet managed to defining a larger mission statement for the Pike era of Star Trek. Radical empathy, or the idea that what all anyone wants, regardless of their species, is the opportunity to be heard. One of the episode's subplots involves Pike, Spock, and Admiral Robert April attempting to negotiate with a prickly alien race known as... I'm going to butcher this name. Sorry, Star Trek fans. Arangovians. They control a key piece of territory between Klingon and Romulan space and have been both very private and extremely resistant to diplomatic negotiation. At least until Pike cracks the secret of what they want to hear. For the alien species, apparently what matters most is that others try to see things from their perspective and put themselves in their place rather than simply pushing a singular agenda. Wow, if that isn't Christopher Pike to an absolute T, the rare leader who's more interested in leading by collaboration than be by fiat, 
who values input rather than following orders. Yes, that is a man who already practices radical empathy, who seeks to work with rather than rule others, who actually wants to hear perspectives beyond his own. That's why he's such a great captain and why so many seem to be willing to follow him into hell. Or at least the center of a black hole, if you ask. What will his evolution over the course of this show look like? I hope we spend many seasons finding out. Let us know in the comments section below, what did you think of this episode of Strange New Worlds? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Are you a fan of the show? you not like the show? I prefer this show over all the other um, outside, of lower, outside of Lower Decks. Because, yeah, it is the closest to what we, what I was raised on. Like, I was raised on the original series. Like, I've probably watched that, that whole series, like, countless times. But, yeah, that one. This one's probably been my favorite series so far. And I'm going to leave it with a rating of four and a half stars out of five. Because it was actually a really good episode. And now, of course, we got to do our Obi-Wan Kenobi review. And now we're on to episode three so far. Can you believe it? A new high point for the series comes as Obi-Wan reaches his lowest. Episode 3 of Kenobi gives us what we've been waiting for. The return of Vader thrills as he's reunited with his former master for the first time in 10 years and displays the brutality that comes with his legend. It's a fantastic sequence that follows an uneven beginning to the chapter, but ultimately excites as to what may be lying ahead. As we reach the halfway point in the season, bridges are starting to be built, not only between the beginning and end of this chapter in Obi-Wan's life, but also the wider gap between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. Kenobi is the catalyst of Vader's revenge and the source of Leia's hope, the balance in the Force personified, which requires him to remain level-headed when all around him shifts. It's something he struggles with as the stakes become increasingly more personal. It's easy to draw comparisons with the Mandalorian, what with being another Star Wars show about a veteran warrior escorting a child to safety, But this episode felt more akin to Cormac McCarthy's The Road, not just in its American South-looking location either, but in the way Obi-Wan recalls how the world flourished before Leia was born. This more somber, somber approach to storytelling fits perfectly with what we find both our lead character and the galaxy both at their lowest points. The hold the Imperials have during this era is, is put on full display in both the impressive, imposing-looking architecture, the Inquisitor base, to more subtle and arguably chilling displays of evil, infiltrating society like a worn flag on the back of a cart. However, in the darkness is where the light shines brightest, as sitting in this cart gives Obi-Wan a chance to reminisce about both his and Leia's lost family. It's a touching moment that further strengthens the bond between Leia and her new friend Ben. Shortly after, we are swiftly reminded that nowhere is truly safe for them. Obi-Wan reluctantly steps into the action, looking every inch a man who's seen too many battles, and would happily put his fighting knees behind him, wearing his robes like a suit jacket that's seen too many funerals. That's not to say he doesn't live up to the legend when called upon, though, using his uncivilized blaster to full effect. And while it may not have been at the hand of his lightsaber, we do see a stormtrooper cut in half by a laser beam, which is always enjoyable. Obi-Wan deals with these troopers fairly easily, but don't you worry, they'll be back and in great numbers. 
That was really my biggest criticism of what we wanted to show so far. It's action. The opening half is quite low octane. And while there was no comically slow chase scene this time, the highlight is a couple of underwhelming blaster fights. The plot plods along more concerned with reinforcing bonds established in the first two chapters than hitting plot beats. But all that changes in an absolutely thrilling final third. Vader breathes new life into the show that moment he arrives. The silhouette is unmistakable, and the darkness that fits it unrelenting. It's Hayden Christensen as we've never seen him before, brutal and unforgiving as he brushes townsfolk aside, using his signature force choke and snapping necks like he's popping bubble wrap. It's a stark and savage display of power and something we've not really seen since the thrilling climax of Rogue One. Then comes the moment he unveils his red lightsaber for the first time for Kenobi to see, a moment that confirms all the fears he had about his former Padawan. The fight is beautifully staged as red and blue cut through the darkness, echoing Empire's iconic misty duel between Vader and Luke. Choreography hits a satisfying sweet spot between the restraint of the original trilogy and excess of prequels. It all culminates in Vader giving Kenobi a taste of his own medicine letting him writhe in the flames like his master once left him. It serves as a small taste of revenge for Anakin, and it's bold for a show to use such a huge moment like the duel in the darkness so early in its run, rather than hold it until the end. It's exciting because we don't know what the what else the showrunners have in store to top this. The threads of iconic Star Wars themes weave through the soundtrack by Loki composer Natalie Holt works a stellar effect and the moment it cuts out to let Vader's breathing provide the base of the score is wonderful. It's a fantastic marriage of familiar, nostalgic Star Wars and something new and exciting, reflecting the show as a whole. This, of course, in no small part thanks to Deborah Chow's brilliant direction over the course of all three of these first episodes, walking that balance between a slowly unraveling plot and action while leaving time for pockets of genuine emotional impact is no mean feat but one Chow pulls off with a consistent elegance. So, of course, you want to know what my verdict is, right? Well, of course, I'm going to give it to you. But episode 3 of Obi-Wan Kenobi knows what we want and delivers it in riveting fashion, even if it does take a little while to get there. It's definitely a new high point for the series, as Obi-Wan reaches his lowest, separated from Leia, and being hunted by a full-strength Vader. It serves as a great piece of standalone entertainment, but crucially for a show reaching its halfway point ex- excites us for what's yet to come. Let us know your thoughts on, the, on um, this episode. What did you think about it? In the comments section below. And also, let us know, should Vader and Obi-Wan face off again before episode four? Yes, no. Um, you think uh, Ben needs another chance to redeem himself? Or do you think Vader's already do- um, established his dominance? Let us know. And of course, if you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash cinemagold. Your support helps the channel grow, upgrade our equipment, um, hopefully take this show on the road eventually, um, bring in new hosts, create new shows, and um, be able to pay them for their time and effort into this podcast. And please hit that like button. Give us a thumbs up if you like the channel. Or if you like the content, subscribe to the channel to get more content like this and hit that bell notification button to be notified of future videos. And also subscribe to the podcast, all major podcast platforms, including Good Pods. Check it out today on Good Pods Today.
And as always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We will see you next time. Welcome to the Cinema Gold Show. I am your host, Larry Lace. And on today's episode, we're talking the war on comedians with our special guest, Brian Fernandez, a journalist from Tampa, Florida. And before we dive into our topic, we'd like to thank Audible for sponsoring this episode. Audible is a subscription service that allows you to buy audiobooks that you can listen to on your phone. Audible allows you to choose from a gigantic array of audiobooks narrated by amazing narrators that you can listen to from anywhere. Right now I'm listening to The Dead Zone by Stephen King, narrated by Oscar-winning actor James Franco. It's the chilling story of a high school teacher who falls into a coma and wakes up with psychic abilities. In all seriousness, audiobooks are great for when you're alone and maybe want to stop with YouTube. So let me ask you, do you want a free audiobook from Audible? Well then go to audibletrial.com slash Larry21 today. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.